Hello and welcome to our podcast. We hope it encourages and inspires you. Please head to our website for more information on what is happening at Ashburton New Life or to get in touch. One of our team would love to talk to you. Here's today's message. Hey, great to be with you. Uh, in Gideon's chapter 6, we hear about a man called Gideon and he's cowering away in a hole in the ground, threshing out some wheat, trying to get some grain to eat. And what's actually happening at this time in Israel is the Amalekites are ruling over them. They come in and they steal their crops, they come in and they take their, their cattle and their livestock and even their donkeys. And uh, so the people of Israel are under oppression and here we have Gideon hiding in a hole, thrashing out some wheat just to get a meal. And then an angel of the Lord comes to him. And we get this in Judges 6 verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Other translations will say, mighty man of valor, you mighty hero, you brave man. This angel comes and declares that he is a great and mighty warrior over his life, even though he's towering in a hole, just trying to get something to eat. And what actually happens is this prophetic declaration over Gideon's life changes his life. He actually becomes the man that the angel was declaring he will be. And he rises up and against all odds, he, he, he gets a small army together and they defeat the Amalekites and win victory. And so the title of my message today is The Power of Declaration. You see, this angel changed the course of Gideon's life, which changed the course of the, of the life of the nation. And there are some people here today and you need to declare victory over your life, victory over your situation, and declare favour and blessing over your children. Declaration means to provide a statement of fact or to make a formal announcement. It also means proclamation, decree, testimony, revelation. You know, we need to change the way we speak to speak faith declarations out. God created the universe, how? With his words. He said, let there be, and there was. The creation we see, the creation that we live in was formed through words. And so we also have the power and the ability to speak things that are not into existence. Yeah. We are made in the image of God and our words are prophetic and they are powerful. Proverbs 18 verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Our words can declare favour and blessing, but we can also tear down and curse with our words and bring destruction. And so our words are very, very powerful. And I believe that there's some people here today who need to change their declarations. 
Let us determine today to be people who use our mouths to declare by faith the word of God and faith declarations. You see, declarations unlock destinies. Amen. That one declaration from the angel unlocked Gideon's destination and his destiny. The angel of the Lord was calling into existence what has not yet been seen. Mark 11, verse 23 and 24. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says, whoever speaks to this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says, whatever he speaks. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, Believe that you receive them and you will have them. The scripture doesn't say, think to the mountain. <sighs> Groan and sigh at the size of the mountain. It doesn't say, take a picture of the mountain. It says, speak to that mountain. Make a declaration to the mountain. You know, there's power in speaking and power in declaration. And, and so you speak and faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when you speak God's word to the mountain, you hear it and faith rises up. And we can see those mountains, mountains of doubt, mountains of unbelief, mountains that are huge obstacles before us can come down in Jesus' yeah. name. Amen. Amen. And I want to... Encourage parents here to speak words of blessing over your children. Your words are framing their future. Your words are prophetic and powerful. God has anointed and appointed you to be the prophet to your children. Your words are prophetic and powerful. And, uh, and Ruby, our daughter, is worship leading this morning. And uh, when she was a young girl growing up, I mean... It was pretty clear to see that uh, she was bold and courageous and there was a leadership gift on her life. And uh, those that have been around this church a long time remember her as a little button. And uh, she always was a young girl that had power and authority and, uh, and leadership. And, and man, Lisa, uh, it wasn't easy. We had to harness that and release that and bless that. I remember when Ruby was growing up and, you know, you just have those times of devotion or praying with her at night and I, and I just keep speaking to her. You're going to be a great leader one day. You're going to speak to thousands. God's calling you to rise up into leadership and greatness. And as a little girl, she'd go, oh, Dad, I know that. Oh, I know that. Because I'd say it to her all the time. And she goes, oh, Dad, you're saying that again. I know that. And what's incredible is... Um, when she was like a young teenager, she was a worship leader up here, uh, as a teenager preaching on stage, and at 19 years of age at Christmas in the Park, she emceed with her mother in front of a crowd of 7,000 people, and she just got up and did that. So easy, so casual, because she's always known she's going to do that. Yeah. Our words are prophetic and powerful, and they frame the future of our children and what are we speaking over our children? Are we speaking words of blessing and, and words of life and words of goodness or are we cursing our children? 
I've uh, been speaking in recent weeks about um, a spiritual strongman over New Zealand being apathy, a demonic stronghold that's over our nation. Well, let me tell you about another one that's over this country. It's the tall poppy syndrome. And Kiwis by default and by their very culture love to pull people down and keep them humble. That's why the richest people in New Zealand wear the worst clothes and drive the worst vehicles. Because they don't want to be seen to be too good or too, too big or too popular. Because Kiwis love to pull people down. And so often as Kiwis we can say curse words like, oh, who do you think you are? Oof, getting a bit big aren't you? Oof. Just like to keep people humble and keep people down. Well this isn't the culture of heaven. And I'm so glad that in the church it's not that culture in my experience. And so, with our children, we don't want to pull them down and keep them small and keep them super humble. Um, humility is good, but not a false one. Yeah. We want to bless our children. We want to release them into greatness. And uh, we've got a friend, Jay Galdard, who's doing a campaign through New Zealand at the moment called Tangata, and it's about building people up. He's uh, addressing the issues of the culture of New Zealand. He believes that's why our suicide is so high. And he's done surveys with young New Zealanders. And this is really sad. Most young New Zealanders would rather receive criticism, criticism than a compliment because they're used to criticism and they know how to deal with that and they don't know how to respond to what to say if the compliment comes their way. This is really sad. This is in our New Zealand culture. And it's not to be in the house of the Lord. And it's not to be what we speak over our children. We are to speak life and blessing in God's favour. And as parents, you are God's prophetic mouthpiece for your children. And there's people here with a lot of hurts, uh, a lot of pain because of hard words spoken to them from parents. And God wants to heal that and restore that. And God says you're awesome, you're amazing, you're mighty, you're great. Amen. Amen. James 3 verses 4 to 5. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds are strong, in the same way the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. So you've got that massive ship. Imagine massive winds and massive storms. It's a small rudder that keeps it facing into the, into the waves and into the storm. And it's the same with us. This thing, yeah. the tongue, yeah. it directs our life. Yeah. The words we speak are bringing direction to our life wow. and where we are going. Yeah, yeah. We are directed to destinations by this, what we are speaking. This is our small rudder. And this shows how much power the tongue has. Because your declarations are framing your future. What is coming out of your mouth? What are you speaking? And again in uh, James 3, this is verses 7 to 10. People contain all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and fish. But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. 
Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. You know, we come to church and we praise our God on a Sunday morning. And then we can go home and start backbiting and criticising and pulling people down who God loves and who are made in His image. Surely this is not right. What would it be like if you only used your tongue for blessing and for releasing God's favour and releasing God's goodness? Instead of speaking bad about somebody, you spoke favour and blessing over their life. Words are prophetic. Words are powerful. Words work in the spiritual realm. They're creative and they either take blessing or cursing out over people made in the image of God. We want to try and tame this, control this, and use it for God's glory. There's so much power in what we're declaring and saying. Anybody that's been around church sometime knows the story about David and Goliath. Is that right? David, a young shepherd boy, got the anointing on his head, goes out to the battlefield, sent by his father to take some food and supplies to his brothers. And he sees this taunting big giant called Goliath, absolutely blaspheming his God and the people of Israel. And David's like, somebody's got to stand up to this dude. But they're all scared and cowering away. And David well, goes, well, if no one will do it, I'll do it. And I love this declaration as he goes out to fight Goliath, that eight foot tall, like seasoned battle warrior who's intimidating and mean and bold. And look at this in 1 Samuel 17, verse 45 to 47. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel. Hear that declaration. Whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. What an amazing declaration. He declared it, he believed it, then he walked in it, he actually ran in it, he ran at Goliath. You see, this is a mountain in front of him. This is a mountain of a man. And he speaks to the mountain, and then he walks in faith, and he takes him down. I mean, Goliath is big. He's too big to miss, isn't he? David can't miss him. He's head on him's like that. So he takes him down. And often when we hear this story, it's like, David kills Goliath, 
and he picks up his sword and he cuts off his head. That's the way to silence giants, to cut off their heads. But often we hear the story and it's like, David kills Goliath, cuts off his head, the end. But if David's life was to be a movie, this would be like the catalyst in the beginning. This is like the start of David's uh, life and ministry. He's a teenager here. This is like the beginning, not the end. And so let's just carry on a little bit with David's life. Let's go to 1 Samuel 19 verse 8. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow and they fled from him. Promotion has come to David. What does promotion look like? Killing more Philistines. And so when promotion comes to you, imagine promotion comes to you at work. What does that look like? Managing people. And where there's people, there's problems. There's promotion. Or you get a bigger house. And what does that mean? You get to clean it. Don't we love promotion? David's been promoted. He's killed Goliath. Go kill some more Philistines. But I like, I like the next couple of verses. I mean, this is David's life, his journey. Let's go to, now to verse 9 and verse 10. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with a spear in his hand. This is the king of Israel, who David is serving. And David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall, so David fled and escaped that night. This is a packed piece of scripture here. David's been promoted. David's won favour in Israel. David is going to be the next king. The woman is singing in the streets, Saul called, kills by the thousands, David by the tens of thousands. Saul doesn't like it. Saul is jealous. Saul is being tormented. The only way he can get escape from the torment is if David plays worship music and sings. But every now and again, his jealousy rises up and he wants to kill David. And so he throws a spear at David. David's learned to worship with his eyes open. And he lets the spear miss. This is now the most troublesome time in David's life. Because our biggest battles aren't the giants out there. It's living a life right for God on the inside. Our biggest battles are within. And so we've got a jealous king who wants to kill him. So... If David was to pick up that spear and to drive it through Saul, he would be no better than what he was. And David's a king after God's own heart, isn't he? Yeah. And imagine if David had done that for 20 or 30 years' time, when he was a king, he would have been a jealous, insecure, spear-throwing king. No better than King Saul. So, we need to learn from this. Now, this was a literal spear that was getting thrown at David. 
I haven't had that, but I've had plenty of sharp words thrown at me over the years. And if I take those words and throw them back at people, I'm no better than they are. And I'm going to become like them. And so it's a challenge as a leader when people shoot from the hip and throw hard words at you to just pretend there was no spear. Just pretend that it missed you even though those words have pissed your heart. And they hurt. But to be better than other people, you don't react the same way. Yeah. You go to God and you strengthen yourself in the Lord and you deal with those words. This is what true leaders do, true kings do. Because if somebody shoots from the hip hard words at you, throws a spear at you, and you pick it up and throw it back, you're no better. You're going to become like them. But David loved the Lord. And the scripture says that he fled from King Saul. Now David has six months living in a cave with Saul's assassins out there trying to hunt him down. A dark, cold, damp cave hiding from Saul and his assassins. Wow. <laughs> This is promotion. This is preparation. And David has two opportunities to kill Saul, and he doesn't take them because he doesn't want to touch God's anointed. No wonder he's a king after God's heart. He doesn't react badly to people who react badly to him. And he talks blessing and favor over King Saul, even though he's treating him badly and is jealous and insecure. Wow. And David is a worshipper. He knows how to worship God and keep his heart right. Worship is never warmer on a Sunday morning. Worship is a time of power because it's a time of proclamation, declaration, as we declare who God is. You know, you come to church and you might have big problems, a big mountain in front of you. But as you worship a big God, those problems become small, don't they? And we worship God and we go over and over and over singing about how good God is. Not because God forgets how good He is, but because we forget how good He is. And how big He is, and how great He is, and how mighty He is. Because we get our focus on the wrong things. And so praise and worship is declaration time. And it's powerful. And when we talk about who God is, we discover who we are. I'm just going to preach this. Um, Jesus is with the disciples in Caesarea Philippi. And he says to his disciples, who do they say I am? And the disciples are like, oh, some say you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But Jesus is like, who do you say I am? And Simon speaks up and he gets it right. He 
goes, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes, well done, Simon. This hasn't been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father. And on this rock, and what's the rock? It's the rock of revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's the power of knowing who God is. And when we declare who God is and when we worship Him and and talk about who He is, we find who we are. We discover who we are when we discover who God is. Can I have the people on communion to start handing those emblems out? And I'd also like to get the worship team up as well, please. Because this is what I want to do this morning. I want to have a time of reflecting and having communion and then I want us to rise up and have a time of declaration, proclamation, worship and actually speak some things out. 1 Corinthians 11 verses 23 to 26 and this is a well-known passage of scripture. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That last verse. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. This morning we're going to remember that Jesus Christ died for us. That he gave his body to be broken and he poured out his blood for us. And we are to proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Jesus died, Jesus died, Jesus died. It's not that that we're proclaiming. We're proclaiming the victory that we have through Jesus' death. Do you know that Jesus' death has brought us victory? And that's why we remember his death. And that's why the cross is the number one symbol in the world and widely recognized because it's the symbol of our victory. You see, Jesus died for us. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Jesus died in our place so that we can have his life, new life, abundant life, a new beginning today. He died so that we can have his life. And he died a sinner's death so that we can have his righteousness. We celebrate that today. That's why we remember his death because it's a new beginning and a new life. He was cursed and nailed to the tree so that we can have blessing. He was rejected on that cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why was he rejected on the cross? 
so that we could have acceptance. He was stripped naked in front of a jeering crowd. He endured our shame. Why? So that we could have his glory. Moses describes poverty as this. Being hungry, being thirsty, being naked and without anything. Jesus was very wealthy when he walked the earth. He regularly gave money to the poor, but when he went to the cross, he was hungry and he was thirsty. Some of his last words were, I thirst. He was stripped naked and his clothes were gambled for. When he was on the cross, he had absolutely nothing. Why? Because he became poverty so that we can have riches and wealth through his sacrifice and death. And that's what we're proclaiming today, is the victory that we have over the cross. The scripture tells us that by his stripes we have healing. We have healing because of the stripes that were laid on Jesus' back. That's emotional healing. Physical healing is available to us because of the death of Jesus Christ. This is what we remember. And this is what we proclaim. And this is what we declare is the revelation that we have through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you died for us and that we have victory because of your death, your burial, and the resurrection. Lord, we remember, Lord God, what you did for us. You poured out your blood, you broke, gave your body to be broken for us. And we have victory because of your sacrifice. And we declare it this morning, we thank you for it, and we take time to meditate on all that you have purchased for us. Jesus' name. Amen. Take the emblems now just as you want to or if you want to just meditate for a little bit, that's fine too.
ask everyone to stand now. There's so much power in declaration. Your declaration is framing your future. And I think about Moses sending out those 12 spies. And Joshua and Caleb came back and they said, yes, there's giants in the land. Yes, there's fortified cities. But our God is with us and we can take this promised land. The other 10 spies said, oh no, no, we cannot take that land. There's giants there, there's fortified cities, and we are like grasshoppers in their sight. Guess what? The man who says he can and the man, the man who says he can't, they're both right. Shows the power of declaration because Joshua and Caleb did go in and they did take the promised land. They spoke to it and then they walked in it and the walls of Jericho came down and they took the promised land because the Lord was with them and through their faith. It shows the power of declaration. And right now we're going to sing a song and while the song is singing, I want you to just uh, either sing the song or declare some things out and, and, and let your ear Hear what you're speaking out because there's power in declaration.